You're listening to episode 61 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Ian Westerman. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast, and uh, it's so good to be back after a little bit of a hiatus uh, after Tennis Summit 2018, as uh, many of you know that I hosted last month uh, with, uh, you know, over 35 coaches. It was so much fun, but it definitely took a lot out of me. And so I uh, took a little break and uh, also got sick, which is never fun. But now I am back uh, with a fantastic episode with Ian Westerman from Essential Tennis. Uh, he and his team uh, do a wonderful job. Uh, they're definitely uh, easily uh, one of the best online tennis instructional resources out there. And uh, Ian has been kind enough to be a guest uh, on the uh, Tennis Summit that I did last year, the Tennis Technique Summit, as well as Tennis Summit 2018 this year. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk to him about a lot of a lot of things that I think will help you, as well as uh, other things that will be very interesting to know about, you know, the life of a very passionate uh, tennis coach. Um, so I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Ian Westerman. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, it's really great to be back and today uh, my guest is Ian Westerman from Essential Tennis. Uh, Ian is a good buddy of mine. He does fantastic work uh, in the online world as well as uh, you know in person obviously. And so a bit of background on Ian. He is considered one of the pioneers of online tennis instruction. Uh, he is the founder of Essential Tennis, which I'm sure most of you have, have probably checked out before. Uh, he, he and his team is, have uh, produced an incredible amount of free, high-quality, uh, value-filled videos that have helped you know millions of people improve their tennis games. Uh, I think the last time I checked, uh, uh, Essential Tennis has over 125,000 subscribers, which is incredible. Uh, and Ian also produces a lot of great uh, premium tennis courses over at EssentialTennis.com as well. Uh, it's pretty cool. I, I saw uh, Ian in Forbes uh, at one point, uh, featured as one of the most successful online tennis instruction uh, entrepreneurs alongside my buddy Will Hamilton. And Ian also has one of the most popular tennis podcasts of all time, uh, the Essential Tennis Podcast, which has been out, I think, since 2008, uh, which I really have enjoyed and you should all uh, definitely check out. Uh, and, you know, really importantly, Ian and his team share the same passion as all of you, which is to become better tennis players. And Ian has spent a considerable time, actually, uh, amount of time in the D.C. area, which is where I'm from. And uh, one factoid that you may have heard on the summit is that Ian is phenomenal at driving stick shift. Uh, so kudos to you, <laughs> Ian. Uh, I don't know how to do that. So that's great. <laughs> I'll teach you. Come out to Milwaukee and I'll, I'll teach you how. Sweet. I love to do that. Uh, uh, I won't drive too fast. I don't know, wreck anything. But um, so, so Ian, uh, again, it's really a, a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, first question for you. I know your, your first name's only three letters, but do you have a cool nickname that anybody calls you? Perhaps I-Man, 
Big E, iDubs, anything like that? <laughs> uh, a friend, I've, I mean, I've been called a lot of things over the years. Uh, there was a, there was a college teammate of mine that called me Biggie, um, which is kind of embarrassing. Uh, but, but yeah, he would, he, he would like to reference the Biggie Smalls, uh, song in reference to my name. He, I think he's the only, that didn't, never like stuck. It wasn't like a, a, a hard like nickname of mine. Um, but yeah, nothing really comes to mind. When I was a little kid, I, I grew up in a most, here's something most people don't know about me is I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood mm. as a kid and uh, the kids in my neighborhood had a terrible time trying to pronounce my name <laughs> and somehow or another uh, they came up with the nickname of spud for me right. and that was actually like my gamer tag when i was like a, like a teenager and kind of kind of my main online nickname for a while so if you want to if you want to go uh, old school nickname for me it would be spud awesome awesome i like it and uh one more fun question for you Rumor is is that you have the Essential Tennis logo tattooed on your rear end. Can you definitively answer whether this is true, Ian? The people want to know. I don't know. Maybe I should just kind of leave that as a mystery. And <laughs> if you want to find out, you'll have to you'll have to find out for yourself. Wow. All right. <laughs> that's 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 a good way to leave it. So there's a challenge uh, for you and everybody else listening. Yeah, it's a huge challenge. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff, Ian. So. Um, so obviously, you know, you're one of the most passionate guys out there, um, as far as tennis goes. And can you tell us how you got your start in this wonderful game that we call tennis? Well, it's funny you would use that word. I was, I was on iTunes. I was just kind of scrolling through your, your recent podcast episodes, Mirabon, and I was looking at the reviews recently left and the most recent review on the Tennis Files podcast the guy says that he enjoys your show so much because, and I quote, you are selfless and passionate about tennis. And so I'm really happy uh, to be on the show uh, for, for that reason. It's definitely been, a, it's definitely what's driven everything that, that I've done. Uh, both getting into tennis in the first place when I was a kid and transitioning towards that as a, as a career, not really transitioning like that. That's all I ever wanted to do as a kid. I, I only applied to one college and that was Ferris State University who has the, the first professional tennis management program. There's several more now, but, but kind of the first and main one at the time when I attended 18 years ago which makes me feel old. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, that was the only, that was the only path for me. Like I, I had, I didn't have any interest in anything else. I started when I was around 11 or so, just at, at park, like local, like public park courts with friends did the whole, you know, brought my parents wooden racket out of the garage thing and just kind of hit around. That's how I started. Did some like high school rec program stuff. And then it wasn't until I was, into my teens I took any real lessons at all and I think I think it was mainly my coach growing up that really planted that seed of seeing what it could be like to love what you do every day and I was really kind of in, in, just infatuated with that idea and he's the one that told me about Ferris and so again like I had no interest in going to any other college <clears throat> luckily Ferris is super easy to get into because my I've always been a crappy student. And so I, I got in because I had no backup plan at all. 
And uh, I started coaching full-time when I graduated in 2004. But then over the years, I got frustrated with kind of the status quo of what a tennis lesson is and what an average tennis student is, frankly. And, and so that's really what drove me to start making content in 2008. I started planning in 2007, like late 2007, and started executing content in early 2008. And yeah, April... April marked uh, 10 years of doing the podcast, which again, seems crazy that's been that long. But but yeah, my, my passion for the sport has always fueled and driven everything that I've done. Even the, the, the years and the hundreds of reps that I put in before I ever figured out how to make any money from it online. If it wasn't for the love that I had of the game, then none of that ever would have happened. And I don't know why I have it, or how I got fortunate enough to find it or kind of figure it out, grab onto it. But I'm, I'm really grateful to, to be where I am now and be able to, to do what I do uh, every day. Uh, it's incredible stuff, uh, Ian. And so it's kind of interesting because you, you kind of, you mentioned that, you, you know, you have such a passion for the game, but you can't quite pinpoint you know how I mean I mean I know that your coach kind of helped you develop that passion but can you point to specific things about the game you know like is it the feeling of hitting the ball or or helping people or are there any you know any of those types of things that you can kind of point to as to why you love the game so much yeah it's something I don't know probably six or eight months ago maybe a year ago I really kind of started pondering a little more because I I was watching some some content on YouTube and the creator I was watching kind of put kind of put the challenge out there to to, to more accurately define why it is that that you love what you what you love about whatever you know whatever it is that you're into like why why is that like go as many layers beneath the surface as you can about that and I it kind of started me thinking about it and that was definitely the first aha moment that I had in, in pondering it was realizing how strong of an impact that that coach had on me. I only ever took lessons from one person growing up and he just for me epitomized a hundred percent what it meant to be a coach and to be a mentor and to, to love what you do and to be really excellent at it and to kind of pursue it with with all the energy and all the drive and and everything that you can throw into it like he was just the perfect example of that for me and it really inspired me and um it was at a point in my life as an adolescent where where i had you know challenges kind of with my family and emotionally and psychologically and tennis for me was was my escape. And this is a story like I hear versions of this story from from our audience and I, I'm sure you from your audience hear this mm-hmm. as well, Mirabon, is I've got just countless versions of the same story in my, my own listeners where a husband, you know, passed away or there's a cancer diagnosis or I've heard versions of those two things multiple, multiple times. And tennis just becomes the kind of life raft where it's everything else disappears, you know, during that hour or two hours on the court. And it's not so much like 
uh, it's not so much the doing of the thing. It's like how it engrosses you and takes you away from, from life for that period of time. And it's, it's satisfying and rewarding and gives you, uh, you know, gives you a different purpose for those, for that period of time. And that's definitely what it was uh, for me as a teenager. And so I just had, I think those early, kind of influences from my coach and and the escape that it was for me and the satisfaction that it gave me. And I'm a quiet person. Like I'm super introverted. Generally I don't like hanging out with people. <laughs> and so uh and and so it really fit perfectly for me like in so many ways. And I'm I'm like a really competitive, kind of intense personality, but very kind of inwardly, although tennis really kind of brings it uh out of me, which I it does for a lot of people. Uh, but so anyway, yeah, it fit, it fits so many different kind of deep personal things like just right. And so it, yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of different angles to it there, but, but off the top of my head, those, that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, no, it's a great explanation. You appreciate that. And yeah, you actually reminded me of, um, in talking about tennis being this, an escape. I recently read that, uh, Roberto Batista Agut, his, uh, mom actually, passed away i think a week ago and he actually chose to play uh-huh. yeah a french open just and he said you know just to kind of take his mind off um things so mm. but yeah it's just a wonderful uh you know wonderful sport to play and there's so many different facets of it to master and it you know takes a lifetime um but i'm just curious to ask you too about your uh your junior career uh ian to kind of maybe connect with um with junior players and and those who have played, you know, competitively in the juniors. So just ask, you know, how how you would characterize your junior career, you know, and what types of obstacles you you faced as a young player. Um, I would characterize I would describe my junior career as underwhelming. <laughs> uh, I started relatively late. My family really didn't have the finances to to really support me much. Uh, or or any of my I've got three three siblings like none of us really we we weren't that family where everybody had their sport that they go out and do like we we didn't have the the money for that and so uh, I got help from grandparents I I worked a lot myself did a lot of different like paper routes and worked for a janitorial service for a while and and so I didn't have the normal like junior like high performance junior kind of story or at least not your typical person who goes on to play college tennis and that sort of thing where it's academies and and lessons and and that sort of thing so one lesson a week was was uh pretty much the best i could do and even then my coach frequently would just charge me for the court time that's the kind of guy that my my coach was i mean he would literally donate his time Mm. to me because he knew how important it was uh for me and we just kind of connected on that level as far as it i think being important to, to both of us um but i was homeschooled and I think that's, that's something else most people don't uh, know about me. And I didn't go to a normal school until I was a junior in high school. And so, so I only played two years of, of high school tennis mm. at a small, like private Lutheran school here in the Milwaukee area and did re- pretty much dominated uh, the, those two years, uh, which was great. It was a lot of fun, just kind of being the, uh, the, uh, the guy everybody looked up to on the team and kind of being a, a big fish in a small, a pretty, you know, really small uh, pond as far as my school was concerned. And so that gave me a lot of good competitive um, experience, 
gave me a good experience kind of being in, in that role of, of kind of the leader on the team. I played a couple of like USTA tournaments, but hardly anything. I would play maybe one or two a year or something and like losing the first or second round. And I think I had a Wisconsin state ranking, but, but I don't remember what it was like j- just making the book. I was like super pumped that I, like my name was just in there someplace. Um, so, so yeah, that was my junior, my junior career. And I didn't make my college team my first year. I walked on my, my second year. I worked super, super hard my freshman year training kind of on my own and with other PTM students to improve my game. And then I started getting asked occasionally to, tr- to practice with the team when somebody was sick or whatever. And, and I just kind of worked my way onto the team and then played uh, three years of, of NCAA Division II tennis, which is definitely, for me personally, at, at this point in my life, is definitely my competitive highlight were, were those years of being on that team and, and competing. That's great stuff, Ian. And, you know, a lot of people can relate to, you know, not making a team at first and then, you know, needing to work really hard in order to, to make it. So, you know, what kind of improvements did you end up making that you think allowed you to make, uh, you know, the Fair State University uh, team? Oh man, that's, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I, again, coming from a small private high school and kind of that level of competition and I played against, uh, when we, when it came time for like regional tournament, that sort of thing or the state tournament, like I, I played some of the better players in the state. So, so I had some exposure to high level junior players, at least in my, you know, in Wisconsin, it's not like Texas or California, uh, or anything like that. But so I so I had some context for what the the higher level of competition was, but it wasn't really until I, I visited Ferris. I, I I'll definitely never forget visiting for the first time my junior year of high school and watching a team practice and just being absolutely they were uh, the team was top was definitely top twenty NCAA uh, Division two at that point in time, and I think had the number one or number two doubles team in Division two at that point in time. So going and watching that w- w- totally blew me away and, and gave me you know just the appreciation or perspective of several levels and layers of execution above where I was. And then when I actually got there and I had the chance to hit with a couple of those guys, I think the main difference was probably just just energy, effort, acceleration, racket head speed. I mean, every, everything just had to get ratcheted up in intensity. I think that's probably the, the main thing. So it's a matter of getting used to the, the pace, getting used to the change in tempo, uh, used to the heaviness of shot, and then being able to not only, you know, rebound that, but, but give them, you know, my own version of it and actually be able to to go toe to toe with that level of shot. So it, it was probably just overall acceleration, athleticism and racket head speed was, was probably the biggest thing that I don't remember like purposefully training that, but, but, uh, it just be, really became self-evident hitting with those guys. I just had to hit a much higher quality ball, uh, to be anywhere close to that level. Yeah, it's great stuff again, Ian, and that does show why it's it's very helpful, obviously, to hit with higher level players because they can inspire you and also push you to, you know, play a lot more uh, with a lot more intensity as well. So, and uh, you know, obviously, you played several years of college tennis. You said so. Is there a particular highlight, um, uh, you know, of your tennis career that you can uh, of your college tennis career that you can remember? 
Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't know that I've talked about this either. Man, you're just bringing all, all kinds of stories out of me, Mirabon. <laughs> I try. <laughs> uh, yeah, the... Let me think. My it was my junior my junior year, my second year on the team. We had a transfer that was supposed to come in, really strong player. He was going to be like the the top two or top three person on the team. But he was transferring in from uh, the Pacific Northwest, and he was going to play with our number one doubles player. And there was some like some like administrative or like paperwork problem with his transfer, and so he was ineligible for for several weeks and early in the season was our um was our regional tournament our our individual uh ncaa uh tournament and to keep from breaking up the rest of the lineup uh, number two number three uh doubles the coach put me in with the number one doubles player i was the bottom of the i was playing number three and i was playing uh, number three doubles and i was playing number six singles at the time and so he put me in with the, I think he was number two singles and number one doubles player at the time. And he and I were good friends. We we had already known each other for, for probably three years at that time. And so we went in unseated, whereas him and his normal partner probably would have been the number one or the number two seed. It was us and another main uh, team in our, in our conference. And so uh, we went in unseated. And you know, I'm sure nobody expected us to to do anything uh, much, but we we won the first round, and then uh, really, for me competitively, this is the highlight. Like individual highlight was was this tournament, where is the best example for myself of being partnered with somebody who who just knew how to bring another level of execution and intensity and focus and competitiveness out of me and it was because of his approach to being a doubles partner it was because of his approach to the game of doubles tactically he was smarter than me physically and athletically he was bigger and stronger and you know just he was at another another level of me uh, he was at another level above me on every you know measurement possible mental toughness tactics you know strength shot making etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know you hear about people playing down to their partner. You hear about people playing up to their partner. This was just my personal best possible example of playing up to a partner. And my entire game raised. And I learned, I have a lot of like individual lessons that I learned during that weekend of competing with him. And in total, I think we played five, is it five matches? I think five matches. We beat three seated uh, teams um not none of which you know we, we should have probably had any business beating but one or two of them we beat like re- we pretty much rolled over and i was just in the zone that entire weekend and just like in a completely different like universe of execution and confidence and it's just really amazing experience for me and we ended up losing in the finals had we won the last match we would have gone to nationals and which which is the final 16 teams for the individual NCAA uh tournament and my serve got broken i think it was at 4-4 it was an eight game pro set maybe it was 5-5 five, five. uh there was one break in in the set and it was my serve and i was definitely pretty crushed um by that 
uh, would have been nice to go to a tiebreaker, you know, have some other opportunities to to try to win. But I so overperformed that that entire uh, weekend, and uh, so I'm really grateful for that experience and and uh, everything I learned from it. it was, the whole thing was kind of just kind of a surreal surreal experience for me in the moment, and uh, really happy I had the opportunity to experience that. Uh, I mean, that's inc- an incredible experience, and it's always fun to play with with players who are at a, an, a you know higher level than you to you know you kind of adopt again the intensity and also if your partner is a, a you know great tactician and stuff you know they'll know how to bring the best out of you and so this is mm-hmm. a great lesson for people to you know if you are that better player too you know don't just stand around there and just and just play like a robot but try to bring out the best in your partner because it can make a huge difference 100%. <laughs> so really awesome experience appreciate you sharing uh, that with us and, uh, Ian, you know, obviously you mentioned that you took the professional tennis management program, uh, otherwise known as PTM at Ferris State. And I was just curious if you could tell us, um, your experience with that, uh, program and some, uh, some key takeaways, because obviously we have a lot of listeners who may be interested in, you know, pursuing a career, uh, in the tennis world. So this might be very helpful for them. Yeah. I mean, for anybody listening who feels like, like tennis is calling them, and they just need to be a part of the sport, then I, I, I couldn't recommend that program highly enough. I mean, it's just, I think the main thing, what, I mean, there, there was a lot of things that, that I took away from it. Uh, obviously, the team experience was amazing, but the program itself, which is a four-year business marketing degree, a bachelor's degree, and then a minor in, I believe they call it professional tennis. And the, there were actual classes involved there, classes like uh, racket maintenance and stringing and tournament administration and teaching techniques and, and uh, uh, technical analysis and that sort of thing. Like th- those were all actual, col- you know, credited accredited like courses through the PTM program and so it's really tailor made for somebody who knows that they want to <clears throat> spend their career in the tennis industry it could be anything it could be coaching it could be working as a sales rep at a manufacturer or what whatever it could be clothing line you know or um pro shop uh merchandising Anything related to tennis, I, I think it's just a really perfect setup. And I think with uh, Ferris in particular, I, I believe the the real strength there is just in the connections to the, the tennis industry. And the Ferris program specifically was founded by uh, Scott Schultz, who is unbelievably connected. He he was the um, the president of the, the USTA Uh or was it vice president? The president or, or vice president of the USDA, just really, really high up in the tennis industry, and everything just kind of trickles down from there. <clears throat> and so there's a just a huge amount of of con- direct connection and relationships, which really is everything, and especially in a small industry like tennis, where everybody knows everybody. Having just a, a handful of really strategic connections or relationships makes all the difference, and it was definitely the case for me. I ended up getting a, a job at a club uh, a year out of college that I never, ever, I, I literally wouldn't have had a callback from, but I ended up getting the position just simply because of the, because Scott Schultz called and said, hey, so you have a position open and one of my graduates 
has a resume in your stack and really appreciate, you know, he, he's a, he's a great guy, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what got my foot in the door. And, and without that, you know, foot in the door opportunity, there's, there's no way I would have been considered for the position. So th- that kind of kind of relationship or connection in the industry, I think is really priceless. And so if, you know, for somebody who's kind of on the fence and they're just not quite sure what they want to do with their life, like I definitely wouldn't recommend just doing it just because it sounds cool. Uh, where I would really strongly encourage people to look into it is if it's something where they really feel drawn towards towards tennis, you know, kind of like me or or like you, Mirban, and it's it's something where uh, you know you kind of just have to go in that direction. Then I think Ferris is an obvious uh, choice. Awesome, awesome. Obviously, a ringing endorsement. Uh, definitely agree. I, I, I I know several people who went to Ferris State, and I could be wrong, but I think uh, David Ramos from USTA has gone there, and also Const- yep. Constantine uh, Khodorev, who uh, is a I think is a head pro at Wintergreen right now still. Um, but yeah, that's that's great stuff, Ian. And so, kind of going back to your experience coaching tennis players at tennis clubs. So I guess you you got that first job um, with the help of well by knowing Scott, and then can you take us through? I'm just curious about your route through. I, I know you were. Con- Congressional as well, but were there any other clubs that you coached at as well? Yeah, uh, Congressional was the club I was referring to. I I got a job. The job I got right out of college was back in Wisconsin, where I'm from, and it was really just kind of a starter job back around my family. Great club there, like really amazing uh, facility and amazing kind of family environment. So yeah, an, another kind of private club uh didn't have golf but uh swimming and dining and that sort of thing so kind of a country club type atmosphere and so i worked there for a year year and a half my wife and i really kind of wanted to get outside of the midwest and that's why we looked at uh the dc area we actually both had summer internships out there when we were in college um what was your question? Oh, what was your question? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, just going through kind of your your coaching jobs at various country clubs or you know tennis clubs. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, so congressional was the was the second job that I had out of college, and it is, I mean, one of the best club private clubs in the in the country, much less the DC area. We love the DC area, so yeah. so I applied there uh, immediately and had when I got offered the job just absolutely had to move out there. And so it was a great opportunity and and loved my time there and people treated both of us extremely well. But what I found, what I learned, and this was this was a lesson I started learning at my first job uh, back here in Wisconsin. In fact, I remember a closed door meeting I had with the director of tennis, my, my boss at my first job, where I literally called a meeting with him because I think this was a couple weeks or a couple months into, into my first full-time teaching job. Because I was just so, I was so frustrated at the percentage of people who booked time with me, whether it was for themselves or for their kids or whatever. But there was just a big percentage of time in my schedule that was devoted to people that were not on the court for the same reason that I was. I was on the court because I just absolutely loved and thrived on giving people advice and instruction and helping them come to aha moments, like seeing the light bulb go off in their head and then seeing them run with what I taught them and see them be more successful 
and have more fun, get more enjoyment out of the game. Like I wanted to help people develop as tennis players. And there was a huge percentage of time on the court that was being spent just being a facilitator of an activity. <laughs> like people, people were there for reasons other than passion for the game and improvement. They were there for recreation. They were there for exercise. They were there to socialize. They were there for babysitting for their kids. Like there were, and, and no judgment. Like that's, that's fine. Like for those people, that's totally fine. Like if they're honest and, and they know what they want to get out of it and that's what they're getting out of it, then, then awesome. And I'm happy. I'm happy for all of those people to get out of it, what they want to get out of it, but it wasn't a match for why I was there. And so frankly, at first I was probably pretty naive going into a private club setting and expecting that people were going to match my level of enthusiasm for working hard and focusing and learning and improving. Uh, but it was what it was. And so it kind of blindsided me a little bit and uh, it continued into my, my second job at Congressional. And ultimately, it's what fueled my, my publishing online was I saw other people in other topics, other niches, publishing content, growing an audience. Uh, I listen, I, uh, podcasts were really my first big content love online. I listened to a personal finance guy. I listened to some internet business guys. And I was like, all right, so these people, they know something about a topic. They're publishing content. They're growing an audience. They're selling services and products to help that audience reach their goals. They're making a living out of it. And so I, it just, after a while, became just an obvious thing for me to try. And I thought, why, why can't I do that uh, also? And so it was an opportunity for me to put myself out there and attract the people who, who met me at my level, you know, and I met them at their level. And so it's like a mutual uh, respect and a mutual um, gratitude for each other. Like that's ultimately what I was after. And I've, I found it through Essential Tennis, which I'm, I'm super grateful for. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, you know, Ian, in a way, it's great that uh, you didn't get what you were looking for in your job because otherwise we may not have yeah. essential tennis because um, obviously it's really tough when you're giving your all and, and hoping that people improve, but they don't really care about that in certain settings. And so I was going to kind of ask, like, if at any point did you think about maybe going to like a high performance program or something like that where the students like are looking to improve or, or something? Yeah, in in hindsight, like that's why I I kind of I kind of said I was probably being a little naive, right? Uh, going into in my first job at a private club, um, honestly, yeah, just in my twenty one year old brain, I was probably just looking at the biggest, you know, most Im impressive, most expensive clubs as being the place where I could uh, build the the best career. And I wasn't self-aware enough yet at the time to understand, A, how kind of different I was from that culture 
and B, like how much that really meant to me and how unhappy it was going to make me if I, if I had to, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, again, like people at congressional treated me amazing, treated my family amazing. As far as private clubs are concerned, like I had a great experience there, but, but yeah, in hindsight, looking back, it probably would have been smarter for me to, to go more the high performance junior route. Although, I mean, that path has its own different set of frustrations, but, but big, you know, obstacles and, and frustrations, uh, of its own, uh, namely parents and, and just d- dealing with the, the pressures there, dealing with the, the, the personalities and the egos on the parent side of thing and uh, parent side of things and just dealing with, it's just kind of a pressure cooker environment, uh, I don't know. Maybe I would have thrived there. I, but frankly, I never had the chance to to try it. Uh, but I don't. I don't plan on stopping what I'm doing to to go try it either. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, we hope you don't. But yeah, it's very interesting. You know, as you mentioned, the troubles with parents, and uh, you know, I have a, a college teammate, Irfan, and uh, he actually has a, a brother who's on the uh, pro tour playing doubles. But you know, we talked a, a while ago about him having a t- tough choice between staying at his country club where he gets paid a lot more. Versus going to like a high performance junior place where he'll have, like you said, those set of uh, things to consider with the parents and also uh, less salary. So that can be a tough choice for sure. Um, But uh, but yeah, Ian, you know, going to the Essential Tennis Podcast, I mean, like I said, it's like pretty much the longest standing tennis podcast out there uh, to help you improve your game. And you've been doing it for a a while. And so, I mean, first off, where can we uh, check that out if we want to listen to some episodes? Wherever people listen to podcasts, it's under, you know, I took, it was the main thing that I did for years. And yeah, it was, as far as I'm aware, I was the first tennis podcaster on the internet. Uh, I, I need to go and, and check that, but I'm I'm pretty sure I, I was the first one out there doing it. And I went three and a half years without missing a Monday. Mm. I was really, really proud of that streak. Um, and for a while, I was actually doing multiple shows a week. But after a while, video just kind of took over and my attention really got pulled away from it. And so for a while, it was really on the back burner or, or I ignored it completely for long stretches of time. And now I'm finally back to to doing every Monday again, which it feels really good to finally have some momentum uh, back into it and it's just some new content, new listeners. And we're publishing it in a lot of new places now. For forever, it was either you listen to it on our website or you listen to it on iTunes, and that's or like you're savvy enough to to have your own podcast app or podcast stream manager, and you know you can get the 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 stream URL. Uh, but now we're on Stitcher, we're on Podbean. It's under review for Spotify. It should be live on Spotify uh, very soon, um, or of course it's still on iTunes. And so, yeah, we're at, my goal is to just distribute it everywhere where people possibly uh, find podcasts. So you can just Google it as well and it, it, that'll bring up the, the feed and also the, the iTunes link. Yeah, for sure. And I listen to my podcast on Podcast Addict, so it's I, I'm pretty sure it's on there too. And um, I think Google Play also rolled out something, but I don't know how that's going with podcasts. But good stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, link up, uh, you know, the links to the podcasts on uh, on the show notes page, which is at tennisfiles.com slash 61. And so what can we expect, Ian, uh, moving forward with the, with the, the podcast? You know, what types of uh, content should we be looking out for? <laughs> 
Yeah, the the pod. I, I'm really enjoying it. Actually, uh, it's. I love video, but I think the podcast is just my favorite medium. Mm-hmm. It's just a really personal delivery, and it's kind of my. It's kind of my diary. It's kind of my coaching diary. Uh, it's the first time I, I've thought about it in that sense, but I, I think that's the best way to describe it. We we work with students here in Milwaukee a couple times a month, and they're really focused, really intensive uh, time periods with these players. And my my big kind of quest over the last year or two has been developing a coaching methodology that is very, very different from anything else out there. And I, I really, I say that being completely honest, I'm, I'm not aware of, of any other place in the world where, where tennis coaches or instructors are using the process anywhere close to what we're using as far as implementing video and um, multiple coaches. We, we have four coaches on the court for one student at a time. Which which sounds ridiculous, but you know I could explain. Like everybody has their own role to to serve the student, and and we ha- well, we all have kind of our own little part of the process that we that we work on, and and so it's kind of my laboratory, and the the podcast is my place where I kind of decompress and share stories and kind of theses. Is that a word? Theses? I think so. <laughs> Thesi. As <laughs> uh, where I where I you know I develop. Uh, my thesis around coaching on the court, and then the podcast is kind of kind of where I write my thoughts and my notes down and and share it and and so in the past i would I would take a lot of listener questions and i and I still do that um, but more frequently than not all everything over the last six months has been very much focused on the learning process and how how if you're if you 're listening if you 're listening to the podcast you want to get better at tennis. How do you get better at tennis without the luxury of a great coach right there next to you? And I think that's the position a lot of your listeners in are in and a lot of my listeners are in. They either don't have the finances or they, they've got the, the means, but they can't find a coach, sadly, that meets, that meets. It's kind of like the position I was in. They can't find a coach that actually meets their level of passion and focus for wanting to get better. Uh, most students out there are at a very, uh, man, a very entry level level of um, passion for improvement, or maybe they just don't care at all. That, that's most tennis players out there. And so as a result, there's a tremendous amount of coaches out there that that's their day. Every day is servicing those players and they've fallen into a rut of just delivering that level of product, that level of service. And so there's, there's a small subset of players out there who are, are absolutely uh, rabid about getting to the next level, but they can't find a coach that actually is able to give them the service that they need or the level of insight, the level of process, uh, the level of feedback that they need to actually break through as an amateur athlete, somebody who uh, isn't a world class, you know, as far as kinesthetic awareness or athleticism or coordination. You know, it takes more than just being like swing low to high to hit topspin. I mean, it just takes more depth of of knowledge and exec- and uh, depth of communication to a student uh, than that. And so. Um, I, I'm always really care. Like I don't want to talk down to to coaches, but it's just kind of the reality. And I and I 
it's the communication I'm getting from players all over the world is, uh, and that's why, frankly, we have an audience. That's why people listen to my show is is to get insights into how they can lead themselves through the learning process and successfully make changes to their habits, which is an extremely difficult thing to do without a really fundamentally sound process to follow. Uh, so sorry, that's a long answer, but in a nutshell, that's what the what the podcast is for. No, and I mean, I really just have to applaud you, you know, for all the great work you guys are doing. And I mean, it's very, I mean, self-evident if you, you know, listen to the podcast or if you check out, um, you know, the, the videos, even, you know, you have some incredible um, videos on your YouTube channel, you know, where you basically are giving us a glimpse into a, a full lesson where, as you mentioned, you have mm-hmm. several pros on the court and you're, you know, uh, recording video of, of the uh, uh, person's strokes and then playing it back to them and showing them techniques on how they can, like you said, break their habits and form new ones. And so mm-hmm. it's it's really, really cool. And, uh, you know, I've definitely learned a lot from it. And I think everybody should t- for sure check it out. Um, so uh, again, just, just great work with that. And I also did want to ask you maybe a couple, a couple like sort of tip questions. So, you know, in your opinion, you know, what are, um, what are a couple of tips to help us be more successful at playing singles? I think, (laughs) I think singles is compared to doubles, uh, singles is a really, simple and straightforward game that I think it really just comes down to a couple really basic patterns of play. And I think the most successful singles players are the the players that are A, aware of those patterns, and then B, just execute them just with incredible focus and and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intention. Like if if you're not aware of the patterns and you're not very purposefully, very intentionally deploying those patterns point after point after point, then it's just a crapshoot who wins each point. If both players have low awareness and both players have low intention about what they're doing, where they're aiming and why, then it's, it literally is, it just comes out to a roll of the dice. Like who's going to win each point and who's going to win the match. The reason why you see players like, I mean, Nadal is my favorite example. Ferrer is a great example. There's a lot of professional players out there um, who really exude this kind of principle of just know your role, know the patterns, and then no matter what happens, just stick to that pattern and just and just play play the percentages and grind down uh, your opponent. It's not the right uh, like plan A or playing philosophy for every player like there's different personalities there's different strengths and weaknesses Uh, but if you don't have kind of a foundation of knowledge and execution of those base patterns then building offense or more of an attacking game on top of just kind of crappy discipline and crappy patterns is just going to make success very very difficult Gotcha. And it's awesome stuff. And then, you know, obviously you mentioned that uh, doubles is a little more complex. So any uh, any advice on that front and also, you know, why it's more complex? Oh, man. Yeah, there's double the players. Uh, that's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, in any in any given situation, you've got um, at, the, at the amateur level, at the recreational club level, whatever you want to call it, generally speaking, 
you've got an offensive player and a defensive player. It, towards higher levels of doubles, you've got all four players kind of trying to get to the net. That's a that's a pretty small minority of of tennis. Like it's it's not a lot of people as a percentage that are like serving and volleying and attacking right away. Most tennis players, there's a defensive player and an offensive player. And so for me, I think the first level of awareness and the most important one is re- is doing two things. Number one, being aware of what phase of play you are in with the shot you're about to hit. In other words, is this a defensive shot that I'm in? Am I hitting from below the net? Or am I hitting from far away from the net? Or am I hitting from off the court? Uh, or is it neutral? Is it kind of like 50-50 and nobody really has the upper hand? Or am I attacking? Am I in an offensive position or an offensive phase of play? And then once you've identified if you're neutral, defensive, or offensive, being really, really aware and purposeful about what target you're choosing. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, the, the pattern that, that drives me the most crazy is players and doubles who have an offensive opportunity and they have a choice between hitting towards the other offensive player or the other defensive player. And in doubles, in tennis in general, but doubles in particular, time is unbelievably valuable. And so if you can purposefully choose to hit towards the person with the least amount of time to react in an offensive situation, that should be your choice like 95% of the time. But if you go watch any random doubles match at any random tennis court, you'll see players at the net with high, easy offensive shots hitting back to the person who has three or four times more time to react to that shot, aka the defensive player, aka the player who's back behind the baseline. And it just resets the point, which is ironic because everybody complains about how much they get lobbed. And they they get this sitter easy volley and they hit it back to the person who's 40 feet away from them, who, of course, is going to lob the ball because they're in a defensive situation. And so that's just, you know, one very like the most obvious example for me. But I think being aware of phase of play and then purposefully choosing the, the right target. And so that means if you have a low volley, the worst possible place to hit would be the person close to you because they're in an opportunity to attack. And so that's that's where you want to target the person further away to to act as kind of a, a pressure release and hopefully reset the point and have a better opportunity on the next shot. Um, so for me, that's doubles in a nutshell, but I could talk about doubles for literally like 10 hours. Uh, uh, that's like the, I think the first layer. And then from there, it's all about being proactive and doing things ahead of time instead of being a reactive, waiting to see what you're receiving and then doing something afterwards, which is again, what the vast majority of, tennis players are doing is they're playing their doubles from a reactive mindset and execution instead of a proactive uh, mindset and execution. Yeah, I really love that. It's uh, wonderful advice. And, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking of a visual where, you know, like you have a, say a sitter, you know, a forehand sitter that you can either crush to like the person who's at the net, who's probably scared, uh, crapless or, <laughs> you know, back to the baseline and, you know, you should, 
hit to the person who has way less time and that, you know, and you shouldn't be afraid of like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't want to hit him, you know, I mean, if you want to win anyway. So uh, that's my take on that. But um, so Ian, uh, just want to ask you as well. I mean, I've, I've noticed, you, you know, you recently put out a vlog, uh, which is really, really cool. I've been watching them all and uh, really interesting stuff. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, real quick, like why you decided to do uh, a vlog. Yeah, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> For those of you who are listening that aren't sure what a vlog is, it's right. what the the kids these days are calling a video, usually daily, but not always, but but just a, a video that shows kind of day in the life or behind the scenes or general, not always, but generally kind of more more candid video content, not as highly produced. Again, not always, but but frequently, and so that's what I've been doing. Is I, I, about six weeks ago, I hired a camera guy. This sounds insane to anybody who's unaware of this content style. But I hired a camera guy to come into the office every day and follow me around and record what I do and what I say. And every day I publish a video showing what I did the day before. <laughs> and uh sounds like the most like ego maniac like <laughs> thing like possibly do. But my yeah, I didn't really have like an end game in mind or like a big like master plan or strategy or anything like that but i believe i believe strongly in giving first i believe strongly in i believe strongly in building an audience uh in general like in life and and i believe strongly in helping people and and giving insights where I can and helping people be more successful in their own lives. And so those are kind of the main reasons why I started doing this. And I, I wanted to experiment with maybe trying to build a different kind of audience. Um, uh, not necessarily tennis players, but people who are interested in how an internet business works and how do you grow a company online and how do you do social media and how, how can you be successful on YouTube and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like these are, this is what we do every day in the office. And so I wanted to experiment with, cre with creating a new audience around a different topic with as little personal creation or investment as possible. And so that's basically what this, what this is. And so every morning I wake up and there's a new video waiting to get published from what I did the day before. And so we're working on, uh, on trying to make that as interesting and valuable as possible without making it super um, pre-planned or produced or that sort of thing. And it's a difficult thing. It's a diff difficult combination to pull off, especially when you're not like a super charismatic, like extroverted, enthusiastic person. Like I, I'm not any of those things. And so uh, it's been interesting for me to watch myself. Uh, and it's been interesting to try to make that kind of content successful. And yeah, we've done 33 episodes of it now, I think. And yeah, it's been an interesting experiment and we'll see, we'll see where it goes. It's great stuff, Ian. Yeah. Um, again, you know, I've been enjoying them a lot and I, I know how much hard work this is. Um, <laughs> because last, uh, at last year's city open, uh, in DC, I actually had, uh, my buddy Victor, uh, one of my best friends, uh, he, 
we actually did a, a vlog for each day of the tournament, and it was just a lot of work. I, I mean, he, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, he was just filming constantly, and then, you know, I had to, you know, p- I picked out like I don't know, like fifty different clips or something like that, and then put it together. And it's definitely tough, but it's really cool. I mean, I actually saw a vlog by a professional poker player named Daniel Negreanu uh, f- for the World Series of I Poker. I subscribed to him actually. That's funny. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So I'm I'm really into the, to poker. But so actually, after I saw that, I was like, man, this is amazing, and that's when I wanted to try it. And it was like I said, a lot of hard work, but really cool and. I'm um, really appreciative personally of you, um, you know, putting all the hard work into that vlog because I, I definitely love watching. Um, but, uh, Ian, I know you uh, don't have too much time left here, but uh, just uh, a couple maybe rapid fire questions. One for you is what are three books that you'd gift to a friend to help them become a better tennis player? Uh, the first one is super easy. I've been kind of obsessed, like I, like I said a little bit earlier, I've been kind of obsessed with with developing kind of a different philosophy or, or process on the tennis court. And okay. So, so there's two books that for me have really influenced that heavily. Uh, the first one is the art of learning hmm. by Josh Waitskin. Oh yeah. Nice. Uh, that, that really kind of kicked things off for me maybe four or five years ago, maybe five or six years ago. Uh, and really kind of confirmed a lot of, um, kind of thoughts that I had in my head or experiences that I'd had on the court and, and kind of ways that I've been thinking about the learning process. Uh, so that's the first one. And the second, the more recent one, which I can't believe I've never heard of, this is going to be only the second place, as far as I'm aware, Mirban. the first place is my own podcast and now your podcast. I can't believe that this is not like a staple in tennis. And I think it needs to be. Um, until I write my book about this, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be uh, more tennis focused. But in the meantime, the book Mastery by George Leonard, mm-hmm. is, for, for me, it was just completely mind, mind blowing. And kind of the same, same kind of thing. Josh Waitzkin's book really kind of confirmed a lot of things and really kind of solidified the, the path that I felt like I, I was on and gave me kind of the next couple steps of vision kind of on the path that I was taking and same kind of thing. But now I don't know, maybe a year ago I got mastery by George Leonard Mm. and there's like actual, there's multiple pages of like tennis specific examples in this book. And it's all about uh, mindset and process around mastering a skill. Mm. And the fact that I've never heard of this book from any other tennis source frankly to me it's just kind of embarrassing uh i'll just be super like transparent mm-hmm. um i think the content in that book is exactly what's missing in tennis coaching not all tennis coaching but I, when i say tennis coaching i mean in a very homogenistic like holistic you know like the state of your average tennis lesson i think is m- absolutely missing uh what's in that book and it's really what i'm passionate about and I'm I'm working on a book right now that's just going to kind of be a compilation of lessons or uh, mindsets or um, insights into tennis. But hopefully, as soon as that book is done, I'm going to start working on a second book, which is going to be all about the learning process and the teaching process uh, around tennis. But it'll be a, it'll be kind of applied universally applied to any getting better at anything because uh, I think there, there's principles that apply universally to improvement in any kind of skill or discipline. And I, I think there's a just a 
massive amount of misinformation and misunderstanding in tennis and I'm sure in other disciplines as well about how that actually happens and how to facilitate that as a coach or how to facilitate that for yourself if you don't have the finances or you don't have the access to to uh, a great coach. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I'm, so yeah, neither of those are tennis books. Um, man, you asked for three. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, winning ugly or something. What everybody, <laughs> everybody says winning ugly. So that's number three. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But yeah, focus on those two books, uh, everybody and, uh, appreciate those suggestions. And Ian, when do we possibly expect your book to come out? Do you think? Um, I don't, we're, I've been working really hard on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be great to have it out later this year. Uh, it could possibly not be until 2019. Mm-hmm. I, I, for sure, 2019, but uh, later in 2018 would be would be great. It's going to be a compilation of of a lot of different content that I've done over the years, but but uh, reformatted and and kind of put together into a enjoyable book uh, format instead of uh, like a podcast format or a tip of the day video format. Uh, and so, yeah, it's going to be like 60 or 70 short chapters grouped into different categories. And yeah, hope, hopefully that'll be out by the end of the year. But if not, then for sure, 2019. Awesome. Really looking forward to that, Ian. And so what, what do we, uh, you know, have to look forward to, uh, with essential tennis? Is there any particular projects or anything, uh, obviously besides your book, uh, that, that are, that's going to be coming up soon? Um, I think the best place to connect with us is probably YouTube. Like that's, that's just where all of our, I, uh, we take the same content and we kind of repackage it for other platforms, uh, Mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram or or two other main other ones. Uh, but YouTube is, is really the platform where we're, we're engineering, you know, content for that, for that, that's specifically that platform. And so I think if you want like the purest version of, what we're doing, then, then our YouTube channel is, is probably the top, uh, the top place to really pay close attention, uh, to us. Um, if you're into more kind of intellectual, uh, process related stuff, then my podcast is probably the best place. If you're looking for actual, like, um, visual is obviously visual examples of, how it looks and how it works in real life, then, then YouTube is the best place. Gotcha. And any uh, socials you want to point out for us to check out? Um, probably Facebook is the, would then be the next, uh, the next one. We, we publish tons of stuff on Facebook. Um, unlike YouTube, like we're constantly bringing back lessons that we've published in the past and uh, I mean, we've published an unbelievable amount of content at this point. So we're, we're constantly cycling through stuff and kind of um, giving light to, to, to past content in addition to the, the new stuff that we're, we're coming out with. So YouTube is like the first place where you'll see our newest stuff. And Facebook is a great kind of compilation of uh, just kind of a feed of everything that, that we've done over the years um, in addition to what, what's new and coming out. Awesome stuff. And you all definitely want to subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, for sure. And uh, so, Ian, I uh, I like to close the, the podcast episodes with one final question, which, uh, you know, you've given us a lot of great tips here. But what is one key tip that you can uh, give us right now to help us uh, improve our tennis games? Go video yourself right now. 
I don't care how long you've been playing tennis. I don't care what level you are. I don't care how many YouTube videos you watch. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many podcast episodes you listen to. If you've never watched yourself hit a forehand or a serve or a backhand, you have no idea what you're actually doing on the court. No idea. (laughs) And so no other tip I could give is possibly as important as that. If you've never videoed yourself, take the phone out of your pocket, aim it towards the baseline and hit record. It's unbelievably easy. It's free. And it's by far the biggest ROI that you could, the biggest ROI way that you can spend your time on the court. Because if you don't know what you're doing, then how in the world can you possibly hope to target the right things that will help you improve the fastest or the, the, the most? And so, unfortunately, most uh, players and most coaches are completely blind out there. And of course, like over the years, you, you, you develop kind of your coaching eyes. Tony, right now, and we've got four coaches on a court working with a student, and I can be standing 10 feet away with a different coach feeding, standing there, which, which hardly anybody does either, with an iPad, and my eyes will see one thing, and the video shows something else. Standing there looking for something very specific, and depending on the swing and the technique that we're looking at, I'm not sure until I look at the iPad. And that's a completely different story from being 80 feet away on the other side of the net feeding balls and and saying like instructions, a completely different world over on the other side of the court. So if you're a coach and you're not using video, you're doing your students a disservice. If you're leading yourself through tennis improvement and you're not videoing yourself, you're wasting a lot of time. And I... I I say those like I don't overstate things. Like I truly believe those two statements and hopefully it motivates people to to finally do it because unfortunately most players and most coaches are not doing it and it just it blows me away. Very well said Ian. I was actually at a a um I guess a a fun little event for uh, our captains in in our county and I was actually t- you know telling them you know how much uh, how helpful recording yourself is and then one player said oh you know my mind was blown one time I videoed myself and I couldn't believe like what I was doing like I realized that I you know XYZ and all that. So um yeah just just a really great closing tip there Ian. So Ian, uh, I just want to thank you so much for everything you're doing. You're putting out content on so many different platforms. You know, you're vlogging, YouTube videos, um, podcasts, uh, putting out courses, and it's just incredible what you and your team are doing. Uh, shout out to James, Ira, Kirby, Kevin, Megan, and also James <laughs> uh, from your team. But um, you know, you're all you're all doing a fantastic work, and I can't recommend you all highly enough uh, for everybody to check out all your stuff. And we'll have again the links at tennisfaz.com. Sixty one. So, uh, thanks, Ian, and keep doing what you're doing, and uh, just looking forward to checking out all this the great stuff that you and your team are putting out. So, appreciate it. Yeah, man, appreciate your support. Thanks for the kind words and and for the great conversation. I hope listeners out there got something out of it, and uh, looking forward to to hearing what people think. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, anytime, Ian. Thanks so much. 
All right. I hope you all really enjoyed my interview with Ian Westerman from Essential Tennis. Uh, I really did. And uh, he definitely brings a great perspective to the game. Uh, as you can tell, he's a very insightful and, and intelligent uh, individual. And he and his team are doing a fantastic job. So uh, again, uh, if you want to check out Essential Tennis, uh, you can uh, check out you know all the show notes, uh, which will have the links that we mentioned on the show today at tennisfiles.com slash 61 that's t-e-n-n-i-s-f-i-l-e-s dot com slash 61 Uh, and i'd also really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the tennis files podcast and you can do that uh, in itunes or any podcast app that you use to listen to the show um, by just hitting the subscribe button and if you're interested in checking out tennis summit 2018 you can do that at tennisfilesummit.com that's t-e-n-n-i-s F-I-L-E-S-S-U-M-M-I-T dot com. And I'd like to leave you all with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show. Um, And this one is by uh, the Buddha. And he said, There are only two mistakes one can make along the road to truth. Not going all the way and not starting. Love that quote. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for all the support uh, throughout the years. And I'm looking forward to producing a lot more great uh, podcast episodes and pieces of content for you all to improve your tennis games. So uh, thanks again. Uh, All the best. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.